What's up, Jay Bros? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. What's going on, dude? Uh, I'm over here sipping on some dark chocolate bourbon-infused coffee. I thought you were just going to be sipping on dark chocolate, like out of a fountain or something <laughs> like that. Like I got my fondue hooked up for the summer. Nah, dude, it's a big shout out to Thunderkiss Coffee Roasters. This is not, it seems like an ad at the top of the show, but it's not just a friend of mine who's been uh, hooking it up during COVID. Normally he, I think, spends a lot of time like chopping his wares around columbus ohio uh but he moved to online because COVID's happening and i've been ordering pounds and pounds i've ordered i think 15 pounds of coffee from him since coronavirus has started well if we're gonna enough if we're gonna do shout outs to coffee that we're ordering by the pound i gotta do a shout out to sunny bray coffee (laughs) here in moncton new brunswick i just bought two bags of this i usually buy three pounds a week uh this stuff keeps me alive and on this podcast. So we have two separate coffee recommendations if you're in Canada or the United States. And again, this does seem like a paid advertisement, but it we is We just not. both like coffee a lot. We uh, both love coffee. Yeah, dude. I miss going to coffee shops. Like That's one of the things I th- that was removed from my life during COVID. And in New York City, like the restaurants are opening back up this week to a sh- small degree, like not not um, not fully, but like rooftop dining, patio dining with social right. distancing is okay now. But I've not been bought coffee at a coffee shop since March. March fifteenth was the last yeah. time I probably bought coffee at a coffee shop, and since then I've been ordering co- coffee by the pound from Thunderkiss Coffee. Well, see, our lives I think are very different because I've seen you do Instagram posts where you're like, this is the one day I went out this month. Or yeah. Something like that. Still like that. In... I go on, I only go out once a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I go out, you know, every single day I go on bike rides. So I've, I've been out for beers with people. There are bars and restaurants open here in New Brunswick. It may come back to bite us. I've seen some people, some, some <laughs> places are just kind of pretending it doesn't exist anymore. And like, you know, the six, it wasn't coronavirus is not as severe there as other places was well, oh. certainly not as in new york city i'm sure well the right? population yeah. density it doesn't even compare like we we just have so much space here and you know in toronto and new york you have just like apartments on apartments just backyards that are cobbled together with other backyards and very interesting it's just there's no space there at all um so you're you're in the midst of it it's like sunday here every day and it's like robocop 2 where you are <laughs> what i'm saying dude totally it's what it feels like anytime I, I i leave to get groceries once a week and i am really looking forward to getting coffee again because there's a there's quite a few great coffee shops in our neighborhood here and yeah they they have been mostly closed some have had like door service but i kind of miss going in sitting down having a a nice coffee and then walking home oh absolutely uh, it's it's the city life yeah, it's part of the experience. We're talking coffee at the start of this podcast. This is a little bit of coffee talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's, I just wanted to take a second just to uh, acknowledge the movement that's going on right now online, the speaking out movement where people are very bravely coming forward and sharing their stories of, uh, you know, 
abuse and coercion and other things. And it seems like the wrestling industry is kind of rife with these things. Um, yeah. Very sad. It's very sad that it's, that this is still happening in a time that we think that we're very woke in 2020, but uh, hopefully this will be a moment where a lot of things will, there'll be some structural changes. Uh, people will not be afraid anymore to come forward with these stories, these kinds of, this kind of abuse of power and um yeah just just abuse general will not be tolerated by anybody um yeah hopefully they clean house john what do you think yeah dude absolutely it's so great i mean it's not great that this has happened but it's great that people feel comfortable and safe enough to bring their stories to the public and hopefully this does bring about a lot of change to the wrestling industry because it's an unbelievable amount of people coming forward and such horrific things that have happened over the last, you know, couple of years. And it's not just in, in British wrestling. There's a lot of people coming forward in British wrestling, but you know, it's, it's happening all across the board. I don't want to get into any specific allegations. Um, but people are severing ties. Uh, people are doing investigations. There is structural changes coming to progress wrestling. So like I said, hopefully this will be a moment where, they just fucking clean house and get a lot of these creeps. And what do the British say? Sex pests. I always love reading that. <laughs> they always say sex pests. It's amazing. Uh, and predators. Yeah. will be, will be out, out of these, of these places where they have influence over other people. Yeah, absolutely. Dude. Uh, we kind of buried the lead at the start. The last two episodes have started with us talking about me being done with the magazine in varying degrees of finish. I but joked about that. For those like of you watching two weeks the ago. video. <laughs> just one, just one second. I, I, I didn't realize that until you joked about it. I already interrupted you for the sake of the video. So I might as well just finish this. I joked about how two weeks ago, not that many people are listening to this. This is still in its infancy. We haven't even launched this yet. We're just collecting our backlog of, of these episodes at the moment. Uh, it has not felt like the right cultural moment necessarily to to launch all of our stuff um but we've totally. we've loved seeing you know the black lives matter tights on keith lee and on uh the armbands on on the new day in wwe and you know a lot of these people standing up for what's right it's been it's been fantastic but anyway Absolutely. outside of that two weeks ago john said that he was about to save the issue and it was done and then one week ago, John said, hey, it's done. And I just joked up for two weeks. We've said it's done. So now you're once again going to say it's done. But we're going to qualify this a little bit. John. With, maybe you can hear this. Yeah. Did you hear that? That was me flipping. Listeners? Let me do it one more time. One more time. That's fresh paper. The proof is in hand. 160 full color pages packed with my illustrations, writings from Mark and Thomas. And... A lot of photos from my trip to Japan. This is one of my favorites that I took. A couple of guys dressed as, or a couple of people dressed as Liger outside the Tokyo Dome. There are quite a few people dressed as Liger just walking around the Tokyo Dome. That that picture to me looks almost like, kind of like a mirage. Like if I was like walking down the street, what would I want to see in front of me? Right. Oh, there's, there's two Jushin Thunder Ligers <laughs> standing there. This whole This whole book is like a dream. Uh, reading, yeah, it, totally. reading your, your journals, I could picture it so vividly. Like you, you talked about it so well and the pictures just completely supplemented 
you know, what you were talking about, you're talking about this coffee that you love. And then two pages later, I see like the cup and I can, I can feel the perspiration on the, on the mug of coffee. Yeah. Coffee boss, coffee in Tokyo. I wish it was readily available. I guess this is coffee talk episode two now. Should we just only talk about coffee for the rest of the episode? (laughs) I mean, the both of us do drink a lot of coffee and think about it a lot. So maybe that's the transition the show needs to make. Of all the things, of all the interests that I have. Beans. Of all the interests that I have, it's very interesting that I chose pro wrestling as the one to just put divert all my resources into. Um, yeah, the others would be being like coffee and film. Coffee, film. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I guess there's not that much. I guess I'm pretty basic. <laughs> Dude, and yeah, your your article looks great. I'm excited to actually go through the whole thing uh, with you eventually. But it was yeah. it was fun reading my article back. It was so fun reading Thomas's article on Lucha Underground. Um, Made me want to watch tons of Lucha Underground. Yeah, I'm like, Thomas, like, rip some more of your DVDs and send <laughs> me those Mediafire links. And I'll hop on the weird... Tubi TV, I think, is what I watched it on. For those of you listening that are in the States, if you want to watch Lucha Underground, the entire series is for free, uh, le- legally for free, on Tubi TV. It's wild that it's on there. But yeah, in Thomas's article, he wrote about Pentagon Jr. facing off against Jake Hager, which is a match I didn't know I wanted to see, but now I do. I love Pentagon. Like, put him in any match. Put phoenix in any match put the two of them together in any match like they're they're some of my favorite wrestlers i probably should have said they were my favorite wrestlers on the uh the song oh, in your bio intro yeah yeah they they're probably my most missed in AEW since they are trapped and not able to cut well if i guess phoenix is hurt but pentagon is not able to come because of covid i miss death triangle like so we yeah, should pack like so so brief did they exist before they were snatched away from for us. like two shows maybe much like, like they... dale cooper in season three of twin peaks <laughs> which i think john is gonna spend uh 20 minutes talking about right now john uh, <laughs> i love twin peaks so much me too this could easily be a whole podcast about that as well that's one of my other interests that i could make a podcast about twin peaks talking peaks talking peaks and coffee a damn fine cup of coffee that is maybe a better pairing than pro wrestling and coffee poor i guess pro wrestle and coffee is kind of like a cool that's like a snappy name though like if we were trying to like brand a youtube show (laughs) (laughs) we have we we get a new like pound of coffee we drink it and then we also watch a match and review it while we review the coffee but also we have like just like random celebrities on like Olivia Wilde comes on. <laughs> oh, she's, she's like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really into wrestling and I, I, I'm more of a green tea drinker, but <laughs> I guess I have to try this for the episode. And my, I'm, my publicist booked me for this. Yeah, My publicist show. thought that this would be an interesting thing. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> like we'd be on ABC is what I mean. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. It's ABC's new uh, show. Brought to you by HBO Max. Do you think we're going to get to a point where re- where wrestling is like culturally cool again? I personally have always thought it was. I understand. So. And I do also. And I feel like you can, can. Like, I remember when I was with my ex one time getting them into wrestling. And like, we watched uh, Sami Zayn versus Nakamura uh, from NXT. And like, Nakamura comes in with that like insane new music that they like oh got, yeah, yeah they got rid of in wwe because everyone liked it too much so they put rapping over it but just like the violins and stuff and then like nakamura comes in that, that red leather and he's moving like crazy and he looks amazing and i just turned to them and i was like you're gonna tell me that wrestling's not cool <laughs> you're telling me wrestling's not fucking cool like come on get out of here did you see that orange cassidy gif was like on the front page of reddit 
Yeah, dude, I saw that. It's it's crazy. It's cool to see. I feel like a lot. It's it's true for like a lot of the game changer wrestling people, like people who wrestled in GCW. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, I feel like have the most outside of wrestling appeal. A lot of the independent, independent, and then maybe a lot of the independent people in general that AEW has swooped up as well. I think it's like Darby as well. Yeah. You know, Tony Hawk is he's doing promos with tony hawk like what kind of daydream surreal wrestling promotion offers something like that yeah well tony hawk uh, at the top of his cultural impact right now definitely <laughs> with the release of tony hawk pro skater 5 <laughs> dude i'm hyped about that that came out a couple of years ago and it was like widely reviled as like the worst or not pro skater 5 the remaster that's coming oh, out in the absolutely. fall sorry yeah the remaster of one and two for xbox one yeah, yeah, yeah. i am on board with we'll be and right I'm hoping that darby becomes a downloadable character We'll be right back with Talk and Hawk, our new Tony Hawk podcast. <laughs> it's called T Hawk, and we only talk about Tony Hawk and um, the character from Super Street Fighter Two, T Hawk. Which is... <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I th- I feel like it's like AEW has the best chance of that outside of wrestling sort of like cool coolness to it. What I want to say is like bringing it back. I don't know when it was, but there was definitely at least two cultural moments where wrestling was like mainstream um and that would have been like during hulkamania for sure like late 80s early 90s where like families and everyone were watching wrestling and then the attitude era where it was like i don't know 98 to 2001 where like the hardy boys stone cold the rock and it it seemed it seemed cool maybe i was just because i was 10 years old it seemed cool to me but like i feel like it was more mainstream you know what I mean? Right. I guess there's a different in my mind. I guess that's the, the that that what you're saying is the attitude that like to me I've always been like, well, who gives a fuck if it's like as popular as it was during the attitude era or if it is what it is. Like wrestling right now in this point in history, I think is my favorite it's ever been. Like Oh, it's inc- it's the including... best it's ever been. And that's why I think it has such a great chance of like crossover appeal right now. I guess what I mean to say is like, wasn't there like 10 million people watching in the Attitude Era? Well, and yeah, that's like true. there's like 1 million people watching now. I think, but both of us, you, I know for sure you will agree with this, but like, just like both of us are more into, like I, I played punk music, played in punk bands in high school and, you know, we like Twin Peaks and like a lot of things that are sort of maybe not a part of the mainstream. So in my mind, I've never cared, like wrestling fans on the internet care so much about wrestling being in the mainstream but there's right. already plenty of avenues for clearly p- plenty of avenues for wrestling regardless of its mainstream sort of appeal it's on it's on tnt new japan there's independence everywhere i don't know it's like an interesting i've i've always kind of felt annoyed by the sentiment that like well it's not as good now because it's not packing arenas in the way oh. that like flair and steamboat did like no i and i would never argue that i think wrestling is as good as it's ever been and there's more choices than there's ever been as you will see by this exhaustive episode that we are gonna we watched 45 matches this week i counted them before this episode uh before we got on this episode as we were talking about what we wanted to talk about today and I can't believe we watched 40, 45 episodes, 45 matches this week. Yeah, and most of them were, were really good. And uh, I got unburnt out from having watched WWE Backlash. And I think there's two things that are, in my opinion, kind of keeping it from a crossover appeal right now, wrestling. One of them is memories of the Attitude Era, 
which is like when women were just kind of completely objectified um, and didn't really have storylines other than like bra and panties matches and like fighting over men and just like weird demeaning stuff. Um, so I think a lot of people grew up seeing that and they're like, why do you watch wrestling? Like, you know, that and like kind of more racist angles where it's always like the heel is like from another country and stuff like that. Or like the brown guy is the heel and everyone's like, boo, America. Um, which like still exists a little bit, but I is way, way toned down. And now, uh, women's wrestling is as, as good as it's ever been. So I feel like that has a crossover appeal to just kind of like show people women's, like how good women's wrestling, like how great the, like nxt and wwe women's roster is and like yeah that's what brought me back to wwe initially was just how good that their women's division was actually forming to a division they were actually having matches those kinds of things are what brought me back as an old fan i guess it's all all that's to say is like i don't know i never have really jumped in on any arguments about the importance of the main sort of mainstream appeal of wrestling or like the sort of like ratings and all of those kind getting into the weeds of that like i'm happy wrestling exists and we Got to watch forty five matches this week that were all good. It's like, more it's more fun. Everything's more fun when it's a little bit underground anyway. So I'm not <laughs> totally I'm just I'm just curious. The other thing I was gonna say that like the the thing that might be keeping it back is it's kinda like country music on the radio. Like all country music on the radio is objectively terrible. But like country music is still good and exists and has existed. So it's like WWE is like the country music radio. Like even me, like a couple Everyone of years ago, I would have been like, I like all music except for country. But like now, <laughs> I love country and I love like uh, Casey, yeah, like old country, Casey great. Musgraves, and like uh, you know Patsy Cline, uh, Loretta Lynn, lots of shit. I don't have to prove my country music cred to you. <laughs> yeah, it's so. There, it's a good analogy because is... it's existed forever, and most people on the surface don't like. We'll say what you just said. I love all music, but country. Yeah, but it's like there is plenty of. There's a lot of amazing country music happening right now. It's just, I've never heard it on the radio. On the radio, it's just always like man and be like, I got a truck gonna go now. Get. And it's like more pop music than it is country. It's yeah. like this weird. Anyway. Um, so I just feel like perhaps we are in a, con- a cultural moment, you know, where. I think so. Yeah, it's definitely another important time for with AEW, like emerging as kind of like this. I don't want to say WCW like thing to challenge the, the the mainstream but it is sort of like that an alternative to what's happening yeah and totally. uh, yeah anyway uh you you were talking about all the matches we watched this week the most i seriously can't like going down that list like just before this podcast it's insane i would say the show that i had the most fun watching was absolutely gcw gcw presents gcw the world two part two yeah, Part two. that was a lot of fun. I, I after seeing a lot of uh, empty arena shows where it feels like it's wrong that there's not more people to see like an indie show that was outside uh, during the day and there was just like just the right amount of people around the ring, you know, to like maintain social distancing. I mean, they didn't really, but to maintain social distancing, but also to like give it a, a crowd feel. It felt like I, we were there watching it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that we spent two month two months watching empty arena shows. But then also, yeah, it's just the the energy there. It's like seeing old ECW. Excuse me, seeing old ECW tapes, where the crowd is as much of part of the show as 
the performers are totally. the energy that they bring makes you want to be there yeah. and want to be a part of what's happening uh and gcw I f- every show that i've seen every show i've watched of G- uh, that gcw has put on i feel like i've seen something that i've never seen before on a wrestling show what was your uh spot of the show i think it's going to be the same as yours yes yeah. The match that really I had, I didn't know either performer prior to watching it, Blake Christian versus Myron Reed, the spot, the, uh, that huge tope cutter to the outside where he, yeah, he runs from the inside. Is Blake Christian's on the apron, He's right? He's on the apron and then standing does, there. And then Myron Reed bounces off the ropes, runs at him, and then does a cutter from the apron just jumps over the ropes, grabs him, does a cutter onto the outside. I'd never seen like, it before. John had never seen it before. It was fucking insane. That spot was awesome. That match was so good. Not to be the commentator from like GCW who like seemed to be like one of them was great. And one of them was like a 13 year old boy who like right before <laughs> they went on the air, they were like, you know, you can say fuck. Right. And he's like, fucking right. And he just was saying fuck so much. It, it felt like an early Tarantino movie or something. Um, <laughs> but also it was fun. Like it was, it was so different from like the sterile, you know, NXT announcers who are like the WWE universe. And it's just a bunch of NXT recruits who are being forced to stand up for like 12 hours yeah, and, a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instead it's a bunch of cool, like wild people who are there to see cool wrestling matches. Like that match specifically Blake Christian versus Spider Reed. I had no expectations for, and it like way over delivered, Definitely by far one of my favorite matches I've seen recently. Yeah, that was a very cool match. Like, just all of the various spots of that match really blew my mind. And just their chemistry. Like, I don't know how much they've wrestled against each other before. But there there were, like, towards the end of it, the both of them started to get tired out. But simultaneously, like, you could really feel, like, you could feel them sort of, like, amping up for the end by, like, reserving energy and being sort of, like, more... um, worn down i don't know man that match really blew my mind i loved Loved it it. who did you say that uh i think or thomas maybe said that trey lamar was coached by johnny gargano yeah and candice loray candice loray yeah that's really cool yeah i i knew absolutely zero of the people on this card other than nick gage who i don't think i had necessarily seen wrestle so this card was just like meeting a bunch of new people and they all felt like good characters. Like I was into pretty much everybody. There may be a few exceptions, but like the Tony Deppin versus Shane Mercer match was awesome. Mercer like throws Deppin into the air, catches him and just does <laughs> and a huge ass power slam. Yeah. Uh, Mercer is an absolute beast. Like all of those great, just great chemistry between Deppin and Mercer for sure. There was like some sort of like, I guess GCW figure who was like working at the hot dog cart and um, Mercer just went over to him and like punched him in the face and then threw him into like this pit of water. That is I'm like pretty nearly positive. Park. That was uh Marco stunts brother. No way. Yeah. Logan stuck. Cause I kept saying Logan stunt on the commentary and I'm almost positive. He's been involved or around GCW a few other times. I can't remember off the top of my head though. Just like Logan Stunt just sounds like the worst YouTuber like imaginable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Like just like keeps all of his neighbors like awake with like parties and stuff till like 3 a.m. And sorry, I'm just talking about it's that. Probably, that's probably the reality of the, that person. I'm just talking about Dude, that one guy. 
<laughs> yeah, Tony Deppin. I absolutely love that Tony Deppin looks like if he you saw him on the street, he's just like a regular, just the most normal looking dude. He just right. looks like a regular guy. But then the character that he becomes in Ring is absolutely incredible. I love that he's just like a snotty punk dude. That's <laughs> I just the few the I've seen him in like maybe four or five different matches overall, and he's for sure one of my favorite people on the independent scene right now. And he just brings this like energy like that I don't think a lot of people bring, and I think that's true for a lot of the GCW roster like you were saying how the whole everyone pretty much felt like a fully formed character that was like a person that you could believe and that's totally true and their entrances really came into that like they had just a lot of great entrance music of like stuff they would never be able to use in like a a bigger wrestling show like popular songs and um yeah there's like there was so much character in their entrances and you could just you got so much from it um, yeah, I knew I the second Trey Lamar's entrance music hit, I knew you were gonna be hyped. Oh, it was "Humble" by Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, yeah, that's that, so good. I love that that there's still a wrestling promotion that's able to use music in the way that ECW did because yeah. that was the best part of ECW matches was hearing Natural Born Killers when New Jack came out, hearing Enter the Sandman when Sandman came out. <laughs> like those those the entrances almost in ECW were just. Not almost. Entrances in EZW were just as fun to watch as the actual matches. How were they allowed to do that? Paul Heyman's talked about it in a few different um, interviews. And he said that at the time, no one cared. And there was something with it being like piped in through the arena that like it just doesn't, it didn't matter. Because like, you have to think at that time, like music licensing, I don't think was as policed as it is now. Like it was a pre like Napster world. So like, who cares if some weird hardcore wrestling promotion in Pennsylvania is piping a song like over a the loudspeakers song. and putting it on a VHS tape that like, you know, thousands of people will own, but like, it's still not, it isn't to a degree. I think that it would be now where it's just like, funny that cause like Metallica has been so famously litigious. It just amazes me that they got away with enter Sandman. Uh, with a character named Sand Sandman using that song, like it, yeah. yeah, you would they think must that have been would be fans of that. They must have been fans. That's the yeah, only maybe thing they thought imagine. it was harmless. Yeah, that it's just like we don't care and that's cool. Like I could see that totally. But it's it's nice to see your promotion just so shamelessly using uh, copyright copyrighted yeah. music at this moment. Um, this wasn't the best match, but had the definitely the best names. So there was a match between forty four oh which is the tag team of Ricky Shane Page and Atticus Kogar <laughs> versus the second gear crew of Mance Warner and Matthew Thrash Justice. I'm in. Like, that match could, it was not great, but like I was in for all of those people. Ricky Shane Page, I'm really interested in. He's the current GCW champion. GCW champion, yeah. Um, and yeah, he seems like a fucking asshole. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really intrigued. He's just this this huge guy who I don't know, he projects menace. Yeah, totally. He's a really good good really 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 believable, really strong heel. And dude, Matthew Thrash Justice, what a name. <laughs> That's the best name ever. He mm-hmm. reminds me of there was a speak kind of I guess maybe 
try to stop drawing so many ECW to GCW comparisons, but Matthew Thrash Justice, the way he came out reminded me a lot of this dude, 911 from ECW, who, oh, yeah. you you know, you'd pick up a phone, call 911, and he'd come out and chokeslam people through tables. Uh, Matthew Thrash Justice definitely brings that energy. Um, I actually, in this... There's a few matches I was familiar just from watching GCW shows with quite a few of the people on the on this show, but I actually had never seen any of the people in this match, uh, Second Gear Crew or 44OH or 44OH, uh, whichever. I w- I'm guessing because they're from Ohio, it's 44OH because that 440 is an area code. You called, within... uh, sorry, I called the Second Gear Crew the Remembered Sons. <laughs> because they reminded me of the Forgotten Sons, and you called forty four oh um the hybrid two who like really let themselves go. And I mean, that is it ex- seems, exactly seems like an apt comparison. You pretty much don't need to know anything else. Like you can picture <laughs> it perfectly at this moment, dude. Speaking of the hybrid two, what happened? They're like not on. May- oh, maybe they're COVID also. Uh... Listen, listen, John. Um, it's really nice that. You have these new wrestlers with their nice and flippy dips, but I got this guy called QT Marshall, and he's <laughs> gonna take up about two hours of screen. Dude, time I'm a fan now. QT ripping it up. He crushed in that cage, that uh, tag match. Um, but yeah, dude, I would say so. Yeah, this the whole show overall, top to bottom, was just so fun to watch with the two of you. Like, yeah. There was a few that I kind of tuned out a little bit. Um, yeah, my internet dropped out during the scramble, which you said you tuned out, and then it kind of came back. I think the scramble was good, but it just seemed like a bunch of spots to me, and I didn't really get to know any of the characters, so it was hard to get invested. Gringo Loco was was awesome. I feel uh, like they kind of use that oftentimes to like bring people in, like random new people. So yeah. it's not always like meant. I think it's kind of meant to be exactly that, like a big yeah. spot fest with I think like it was, cool spots it was more of an people. mp than a yp as far as me not watching that match very much <laughs> um dude and then the effie the alley cat yeah that was that was the other one i wanted to talk about other than the main event yeah that yeah. was really cool uh effie i'm immediately in um i loved how they were selling on commentary talking about how it was so cool that the co-main event had like two lgbtq plus uh wrestlers um, and they were making jokes, uh, like, I can't remember how this came up, but like someone was saying like, she's, oh, she's all gay. And it was like, well, is that the difference between like new Japan and all <laughs> Japan, like all gay. So that was, I think cause F it's something about the, something pro Effie said in his promo caused that to be said, but that she was all Effie gay. Said. Yeah. Anyway, they both seemed all gay to me. Um, and yeah, that was a really cool match. Cool to see like intergender matches happening i think the idea that people have that in like the just intergender wrestling immediately is unbelievable and i think that it's like they're imagining every match has to be like brock lesnar versus like riho or something (laughs) whereas we have a match between like people who are like more evenly matched like it it is totally believable and there's been some good ones yeah Um, well ally cat looks like she could fuck up effie but and also effie looks like he could fuck up Alley Kit. Like, it, it seemed like a, the... It was the very well matched. Match seemed competitive. Yeah. yeah. I really liked the characters. The match was was a solid match, but just the way they, they worked together and what they brought to, like, the, the story of the match and their rivalry felt very uh, fully formed. And just Effie's ring gear also, just, like, to take a minute and say how cool it is. Just this, the pink pink leather jacket with huge spikes coming off the shoulders, comes out in a pink ski mask. Yeah. 
Very, very sick. I thought Effie's outfit was awesome as well. I don't have the written down like you do, um, but I thought Effie was awesome. Yeah, I'm really very intrigued to see these two. Towards the end of this match, the commentators mention that F, like after a big spot that Effie killed one of Alley Cat's nine lives. And it made me wish Wait. and hope for... <laughs> wait oh she's a cat it's not just a name it's uh it's a lifestyle well because it started the match remember she was trying to get effie to pet her (laughs) i guess i missed a few things and they the the commentary called it an interspecies match uh wow they're breaking more barriers here than i initially thought (laughs) it made me wish for a nine lives of alley match where it's like in order to beat her you have to kill her nine times somehow which yeah. I'm sure GCW could pull off. Like that to me sounds like the name of a D- GCW show, like Nine Lives of Alley Cat. I'm already in. Last match was Nick Gage versus Sp- Spider Nate Webb. This was just like, these dudes were scary. I was glad that the do-rag fell off of <laughs> Spider Nate Webb so I could tell them apart. Um, I absolutely loved this match. I is a perfectly worked hardcore match. Yes. Absolutely. So often <clears throat> with hardcore matches, I feel like a lot of those matches rely really heavily on the individual sauntering around the ring, smashing each other with weapons, yes. taking a break, sauntering around the outside, setting up a huge spot, taking a long break. This right out of the gate, dude, Nick Gage comes runs at Nate Webb as he's still up on like the turnbuckle doing his taunts. Yeah. Hits him to the outside, pulls a door out, power bombs Nate Webb through a door, <laughs> then goes back in the ring and the announcer finishes his introduction. Like they do the <laughs> the <laughs> representing that murder death kill gang from the Eastern Block, Nick Gage introduction. I'd wow. never seen that before in a Like that was that incredible. Was awesome. That was like awesome. that energy was Oh god, it's so cool to see. I yeah, might be one of my favorite matches of the year so far. I love like, what you said about what hardcore matches usually are. I think there's been some like perception of me as someone who doesn't like death matches and that's actually probably true, but I've seen some exploding ones from Japan that were pretty awesome. I just wasn't a fan of the ECW one that we watched uh from One Night Stand. I can't remember what that was, but I think it might have been the main event from One Night Stand, Dudley Boys against Tommy Dreamer and Sandman. They use like a cheese grater and some other spots. But yeah, that that's a good example. Like that that's a fine main event, but that is a good example of like what hardcore matches normally are. Maybe a little bit of a fair like unfair comparison for me to make just because it's like a, a match where they're like not necessarily past their prime. I guess they're kind of past their prime in 2006. Like, you know, they're they're at their peak in late, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, yeah, but they could still go for a while in TNA. And- sure. Yeah. And they, some, all of them still, well, some of them still are, but yeah, but even just like the idea of like death matches and hardcore, I love death matches and hardcore matches, but like oftentimes I do find myself sometimes like, okay, this is going to be another, like you can tell what kind of match it's going to be where it's like slowly worked, big weapon spots. Not a lot of, not a lot of like Nick Gage has this energy that like, I don't think a lot of other performers have. And I think that energy is what causes not to be that. Yeah, I agree. It's a little bit like horror movies for me. Like I, I know a lot of people are like, I don't watch horror movies at all. I definitely watch horror movies, but there's certain kinds of 
it's not necessarily just like the torture porn stuff. I remember watching the Evil Dead remake, um, and it was like great atmosphere, great cinematography, really good acting, really good premise to get her there. Like she's like uh, detoxing. Uh, and I just hated it because it just like kind of went from one scene to another of like, oh, how are we going to kill this demon in the most graphic way? Oh, I'll take the toilet, um, top of the toilet and hit her with it and just <laughs> bash her head and all these like kill shots and stuff. And it, it, that's what it became to me, like just increasingly violent things right. happening. Um, but when they're done with like psychology and stuff, when it's not just that, like I loved the mocks uh kenny omega match we've talked about this before but from uh what was that from all out uh full gear full gear yeah like that was great and we knew a lot of those things were worked we knew the spider spider web of barbed wire was worked but it was better that way knowing that they didn't have pieces of flesh ripped off and when he was crawling through broken glass like he would be okay wouldn't have just like ripped up hands and stuff um so like things with like light tubes and stuff I don't know. That like gives me the willies a little bit. It's like, he's like <laughs> cancer causing tubes. I know they're probably worked, but sometimes they're not. And I'm like, no, they're yeah. Most of the time they're, they're not just because like, like even you if you think with? about like the beginning, the beginning of that, uh, I mean, I'm sure that these were fake, but like, you can just break like tubes over each other. Like, you know, the beginning of the movie, the 40 year old virgin, they're in the back of the back lot hitting each other with light tubes. Yeah. And Oftentimes, I would say almost always light tubes are not worked in these matches. Like, you think about the match that happened a little while ago with David Arquette, where he did literally almost die. Like David Arquette? Yeah, against Nick Gage. WCW champion David Arquette? Absolutely, From the movies Scream, Scream 2 and Scream 3, and Scream Scream 4? Officer Dewey from those movies <laughs> in a death match. And it was, it was awesome. And he, the, well, I don't, maybe that's part of, maybe it didn't, wasn't on your radar. He actually no. train trains a lot. Uh, he's in incredible shape is in a tag team with this dude, indie dude, RJ city. Like he, he wrestled, was wrestling pretty regularly up until uh, that spot happened where it was like, kind of like an accident on both their parts. And I believe he slices part of his neck open. And if it were like any closer, he would be dead. And they finish the match and then Arquette runs out of the ring and goes to get medical attention and then kind of like pump the brakes a little bit, I think on wrestling at that point. Um, wow. But yeah, that match was really surreal, really cool to see. If anyone and... tries to tell you that this podcast isn't educational, <laughs> you can tell them this story. Cause I had no idea about this David Arquette situation. That's but wild. yeah, dude, Nick Cage versus Nate Webb over delivered on what I was expecting. Like I was excited to see a Nick Cage match again and like that after quarantine. And, you know, he he brought he brought it. It was amazing. Ends with a huge avalanche package pile driver through a chair. That and was then, insane. Like it just the way I don't know, something about the way he like lunges and moves around is very different from almost every performer. Like it's like he, a, there's a manic quality to it. There's like a, like, yeah, like a, like a spurt of energy that comes forward. Um, and it feels chaotic. Yeah. And you forget that it's like he outside of the ring, even in the ring. Cause he loves his fans so much. He just seems like genuinely like, like a nice person that also loves fucking people up and has also robbed a bank. Right, uh, I was like Wikipediaing this. Like, I was wondering if you knew that. Yeah. Well, no, he was like he was at the end of the match, like he was just like, "You think I, 
you, I'm not just gonna do Taz over here, but he's like, you think <laughs> do I, it in your Taz, do it in no, your Taz no, voice, please. No, save it. He's like, you think I'm I'm gonna win this match and not? Uh, oh fuck, I'm doing Taz. God damn it. <laughs> That's like my like person who's like maybe from New York voice. Um, That's hilarious. He's like, please do it in a Taz voice. You think I'm gonna you think I'm gonna win this match and not talk to you fucking guys? And he's like pointing to the crowd and stuff. He's like, you fuckers, I love you. Like you kept me, you kept me sane, like through all this, through jail. And I'm like, <laughs> typing like Nick Gage jail. And it's like, yeah, he robbed a bank and stuff. And I was like, what? I was like, is this heat or something? But he just like slipped a note that was like, I'm robbing you. Give me money. And he got like $3,000 and stuff. <laughs> so it was like not the coolest. Yeah, with his girlfriend. Yeah. Like, the, the, he's like a, he is like a living Quentin Tarantino character. Yeah. Like, it's good. It's like not like a too violent a crime, but like it's still badass so you went to jail for bank robbery <laughs> like that's as that's as cool as it gets anyway yeah so he was that was that was awesome i i want to know more um so yeah that this is something i've never watched before gcw um this is a, a this podcast has given me an opportunity to catch up with a lot of things that i've always wanted to see so i i got into my first lucha underground show courtesy of a super card put together by thomas um this is my first gcw show Last year, before the podcast, uh, I haven't been watching that much New Japan, but I did watch my first G1 Climax last year, which like absolutely blew me away and was probably the best successive like group of wrestling matches I've ever seen in my entire life. And once again... Best way I, to drop into it, too. G, G1. Yeah. yeah. I think also a great way to drop into it is the New Japan Cup, which started last week. You talked a lot about. I have caught up and I've watched the first two nights of the cup and i am so into it i love this feeling where two wrestlers come out and i have no idea who they are and by the end of the match i'm fans of both of them and i'm like i want to know more totally. about these people uh so it's like, so good to have new japan back yeah. oh man like who was it who is my big discovery for the and like know? overall just like the the idea maybe the new japan cup is like the perfect dip your toes into new japan sampler because it's oh, shorter yeah. it's not as much of a oh like man. the g1 climax is you know i couldn't like, i couldn't watch every single match like i skipped all the tag team matches because every time i brought it up the g uh the g1 it was like five hours like every, and it happens three time three days a week for like a month yeah it's like who who doesn't have a job or who can draw while they're doing their job like yeah thankfully i get to draw and watch matches so i actually do watch all the opening tags. I get to see the great stories that unravel in the opening tag matches. Get to see the legends like Tiger Mask. I need to figure out you a know. job I can do while watching While wrestling. watching wrestling? <laughs> I have a few ideas, but they're not safe for work. Um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember who was my first... Like, the person that I was like, who the fuck is this? Was it... Throughout the... the if within, within the first two nights of the New Japan Cup? Yeah, I think it was maybe Taiji Ishimori. Yes, I well, just from the chats that we had, I remember you messaging me being like, I I told you that I thought you would like him a lot, but yeah. like, uh, yeah, dude, he's awesome. Um, yeah, and he he was in the first match on night two against Gabriel Kidd, and that match was re- one of my favorites of the first two nights. That was a really good match. Uh, I compared Ishimori to like a he's kind of like a just like the henchman to Bullet Club, like that's the way he's booked. Sort of like right. if you if Bullet Club was a 1980s action film, Ishimori would be the dude driving the van who's the closest confidant to the boss. 
and he's got like an earring and stuff and he's like really cool but and uh, then all of the all the toys that are made of the movie everyone buys ishimori and not the boss okay i just looked it up and it was absolutely taiji ishimori this guy looks so cool he's he's shredded like he's got like an eight pack he's like small he's got like a compact frame He, he must be like a junior heavyweight right yeah he's a super junior yeah yeah of course and and he's got these like football stripes yeah the black streaks on his face yeah and you know black leather pants he's fucking in a black he always has a black vest with like a halloween skull on the back of like sewn to the back of it and he wears a skull mask to the ring yeah like both just the whole presentation of him this guy's my new favorite (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he's like constantly booked just as he's like an ancillary sort of wrestler like he's in tag matches he sometimes holds the uh junior heavyweight title and has in the past puts on banger matches like g1 supercard he faced off dragon league and bandito that match if those of you listening haven't seen it go back and watch that it's free on youtube uh that match is really sick yeah and this match gabriel kid to me reminded me a lot of oni lorkin actually like just yeah you said that intensity and the way that he sort of screamed and the Young Lions throughout both these two nights really brought the energy to a point that I was like, maybe this year the, the Young Lions will get it. Someone will get a surprise upset. So I was uh, a little bit um, felt out of my depth before I started watching um, this because I didn't know at least like I would say one third of the competitors. But now I'm realizing that at least half of those are the Young Lions that are not necessarily like you don't necessarily need to know them. But I was surprised at how many people I did know from the matches that I watched like Togi Makabe. Like I had read about him and that match of... was awesome too. Yeah. yeah to- Togi Makabe against Yoda Suji. Like that match I had no expectations for, and it t- totally over delivered. Totally. Like, yeah. That was like a great brawling match between these like two. Very, like... very hard hitting. I wrote, I, Yoda... no one has expectations for that match. I, I would gather to say that was awesome. Seeing, um, Saber Jr. and Suzuki Gun. Oh my God, Suzuki Gun back in action. Suzuki Gun, sorry. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, Tai Chi. Uh, ooh, that's a Kanemura. That was awesome. Their match against Tanahashi, Kota Bushi, Yuji Nagata. This was m- probably my favorite match from night one. I yeah, I actually would agree with that. Like I, in terms of singles matches from night one. My favorite was Hiromu v. Hanma for purely the matchup alone and then sort of the last segment of that match. But yeah, this mi- the mixed tags on both nights were really fun to watch, which is yeah. why I always watch them in the G1. Understandable that you can't watch fi- 15 hours of New Japan every week during the G1. This was a great sampler for the why those mixed tags are fun, though, because you get this like chaotic energy where, you know, Saber is like wrenching ibushi's leg while suzuki is in the background cackling maniacally and like kanemura was holding um tanahashi's leg and zack saber jr just kept doing corkscrew spins <laughs> on it that was yeah. brutal. and just i love that suzuki goon does like they're the faction that does that like because they're suzuki's proteges so they'll have all these spots where it's like multiple men are doing grapples yeah. on one person. Yeah. I don't feel like I've seen that before. Like outside. He's of like that a mobster and they're like his like underlings. Yeah, um, totally. I, I, who was doing that on night two, not doing that, but just like would run across the ring and just start like, Oh dude, that's LIJ. Yeah, definitely. Has... That's just, a, it's a classic heel, uh, 
New Japan move to like run across the ring, deck everybody to cause a scramble outside. So then they can get like illegal tactics in outside interference, weapons, etc. LIG. But he, the, like the faces sometimes will do that, but I feel like it's more of a heel move in New Japan. LIJ is the fucking best. Like Evil, Sonata, Takagi, and Bushi. Like, man. It's a ama- The undercard of New Japan is ridiculous. Like, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense how there are this many great wrestlers. And, like, how... Yeah. Like, older wrestlers have kept their relevance, like, throughout the years. Yeah, like Yuji Nagata. Like, someone that has been around forever. But even just, like, Naito and, like, Tanahashi. True, and Oka- yeah. You know what I mean? Just, like, the fact that they're still in the main event and it's not, like, Triple H versus Roman Reigns. It's more like... I guess that's a better... That's a good point. Yeah, it, that's a really good point, actually, because Naito's been around for so long. Like, Yeah, and it doesn't... So has Tanahashi. Yes. Both have been around for a really long time. And, like, I, I sometimes I look at the Wrestle Kingdom lineups. I see a lot of the same names coming up, a lot of the same, you know, matches. And the fact that these... Again, these stories go over, like, a decade... But it, it feels, they all feel like like late period Shawn Michaels, just like in his prime. Totally. Yeah, you could go back to like, all the way back to like two, late late 2010s, like 2008, Wrestle Kingdom, a lot, all of those names that are on the card on the main event. Like, yeah. And then you have like the, I think, just about to explode into the main event. People like... Shingo. Shingo. Evil. Sonata. Sonata, yes. Ishimori is kind of like lower, I would say, but I, in my mind, wish he was. Ishi, Ishii. Takahashi. Totally. Yeah. Oh my God. Hiromu. I love, I'm so happy Hiromu's back. And just Hiromu versus Hanma is like, that is the beauty of New Japan and why New Japan is so incredible. Hanma is this wild deathmatch wrestler. It's been around since the late 90s. He looks like the Japanese Sandman, like his forehead, <laughs> his forehead is that's the best comparison. Up. And yeah, Hiromu, he has that crazy throat thing where he's like, yeah, he's did- he's scary. And then Hiromu is coming out with like rainbow tights and rainbow oh, Uggs. dude. Yeah, with drawing the his own drawings all over his gear, uh, and his two like little like the cat stuffed animal Daryl and I don't remember the other's name. Yeah, I, I wrote uh, down here Hanma's chops and his gravelly voice are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I see, and I you got to watch you watched the Kevin Kelly commentary, yes. so I missed Kevin Kelly yelling Kokeshi because I watched the Japanese commentary, <laughs> and the way he says Kokeshi is so great uh, that I am gonna think I'm gonna go back just to watch his comment, listen to his commentary because uh, I miss. I miss hearing it. Here, miss... Here's what I literally wrote down. Diving Kokeshi from Honma. Kokeshi. Diving Kokeshi. I wrote that three times for some reason. Uh, he loves saying that. Like, I, I just have noticed. I mean, everyone that watches Dude Japan has probably noticed that. That I like, And Kevin, Kevin Kelly always keys into words that he has and says, like, Destino. I mentioned last week. And, like, Kokeshi. I love the way he says dropkick in Okada's matches. Like, just, just, just as adds. crisp as an Okada dropkick is a Kevin Kelly dropkick call. <laughs> exactly. This match, probably I have the most notes out of all of the matches. But I have uh, Takahashi dropkicks Hanma from the apron. Hanma's head goes into the barricade. Taka then gets out, runs around the ring, and then shotgun dropkicks him back into the barricade. Insane. <laughs> so good. Such a great match clash of styles. That I See, overall, that match... I wanted the end of that match to be the whole match where like Hiromu starts to like Hiromu tries to do a Kokeshi on Hanma. That doesn't work. Then he gets up and starts scrambling around. They go back and forth like where Hanma's doing his sort of like weird stiff 
punches and chops. Yeah. And Hiromu's ducking, diving, flipping. That clash of styles is like what I live for in New Japan. And yeah, that 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 part of that match was what I loved most from night one, yeah. I would say. And, and then after that, okay, like the ahead. well, I was just gonna say like the Ishii Desperado match that came right after it. Kill that crushed like, dude. That an- was great. Another candidate for match of the night. Like I cannot express to you enough how much there is all killer and no filler in New Japan. You watch like a two hour show and there's zero backstage segments. It's just all wrestling doesn't sacrifice character whatsoever because they don't have like, it's pe- all in the ring. Yeah. And they don't have people's words in their mouth. So they have to express themselves through, um, how, what they say in the ring, how they fight in the ring, the, their entrances, their gear. And it's like so and much more character interactions. Yeah, yeah. And it's so much more theatrical. It's to me, it's the, uh, it's like the difference between a cut scene in a video game. That's like cinematic that cuts from like a normal sort of thing versus like a game that is just cinematic like you play a game like inside or something like that where there's no cutscenes, but the entire experience of playing it is like cinematic um it's a good comparison it's like uh, breath of the wild did you play that that's, i haven't yet no yeah that's it's cinematic as hell and i mean there is cutting skyrim in its place right now so yeah ah, uh, very good you need to deep play, in the weeds you need to play witcher 3 sometime but anyway yeah i will back to ishii uh, desperado um yeah that match was just a hard-hitting, quick... It's a simil- similar clash of matchups. Ishii's like an army tank. Desperado's cool, quick, yeah. super junior sort of style. It, go, the two of them going up against each other. They were so, so evenly incredible. matched. They were so evenly matched. It yeah, was- and just overall, like th- this this match, uh, and also my favorite match from the both nights, Yuji Nagata versus Suzuki, you forget that there's no crowd in these matches. Oh. You said that... You mentioned that when we were chatting with each other, that like... That doesn't it doesn't matter in the in these shows that there isn't a crowd. I've been shocked how much of I mean all of New Japan literally doesn't matter at all. It never even occurred to me once. I mean it did occur to me in like big moments where you would hear like the crowd like go crazy for the chops and stuff. As and like or like jeering at like a heel tactic yeah. or something. But like, it never feels like it's like a show that is designed around that that absolutely sinks without it. Like the way that WWE feels sometime not to always shit on wwe but there you go Um, no yeah it's like well that that's like uh i mean also just like a fact like the just all of the like horribly hokey moments where they like encourage people to do yes chants and you know i don't know those sorts of things in wwe it's like feels very disingenuous and then the crowd too it's like a lot of people are there not to like get lost in wrestling they're there to sort of like chant what and maybe I would say generally probably show, you know, it's people showing their kids a thing that they used to love. It's like the main <laughs> that is a great, live crowd. That is a great point. WWE. And the kids Whereas, are just like, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Whereas New Japan, you know, people go there, take it very seriously. Some people get dressed up to go to the shows. Like, you know, it's like you're in that crowd. You feel like you're in like, like a theater crowd or something. Like it, the, the comparison from They're going very to New respectful Japan, in Japan. They're very respectful. Yeah. And it felt similar to going to see a play in New York city is what it felt like going to see new Japan in Japan. Like the, the, the reverence that the people in the crowd have for what is happening in the squared circle. It's so cool to sit and just witness. And the only difference between a new Japan show and a theater play is that you have fans. It usually feels like female fans who are just like shouting out 
their like favorite wrestler. Oh, his names. Yeah, totally. As, well, and as the, if the... they were a member of the fucking Beatles in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, like, and the crowd, the crowd gets into it too. It's not meant to, I meant, didn't mean to, I just meant, I guess like they're like engaged. Oh no, no, totally. I, I just like can't get over like the women who are just like, like Naito, like they're screaming, like they're so invested in it. I absolutely love that. It is. Crazy. You know, one person that I was shocked to—I'm not shocked because he's like—I—I I like his character. It took me a long time to come around to him, but like Tai Chi has a huge fan base in Japan. Totally. Like, just the crowd. He the crowd was going crazy for him. And I mean, you hear it on the shows too. Like when Tai Chi does his spot where he pulls off his pants and he's wearing trunks, the crowd goes nuts for it. Well, he's got a whole gimmick. He's got like he looks like he has too many items. At well, doesn't he look like tux- tuxedo mask or something from like? Yes, yes, and he 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 has he, and he wears a mask. He has a cane. He has uh, Iska's um, metal claw that he Iska gave him when he retired. Uh, like just. And also just like an insanely hot valet. Yeah. Who just like, like yeah. Yes. He, he needs, if uh, Super 7 ever releases, I'm sure they'll release a Suzuki Goon suite. Tai Chi is going to need his own deluxe pack with all of the different things that they're going to need to make in order to make his character, his like in-ring outfit accurate to what it actually they're is they're gonna eventually have to be like all right pick a fucking gimmick tai chi <laughs> yeah. like, are you vega from street fighter are you tuxedo <laughs> mask you get two objects is this pick the, them is this the bunny from the butcher <laughs> in the blade you got with you like is that a, is that appropriate like she <laughs> seems to take a lot of time getting into the ring that's all i'm saying um, but dude yeah this night night two of the new japan cup favorite I I uh, started making a list of my favorite matches of June. Favorite match of the year, I think, close to at least, Yuji Nagata versus Minoru Suzuki. What just a hard hitting badass fight between two veterans who could still go pretty much as the way they did back in the nineties. Like this was this was wild. This was the the first match in a while that I've had to add to our to our A archive of all. Of oh like wow, our, nice. Yeah. Basically, any match that gets. The, le- the lowest that it can be is A minus slash A to get into the A archive because otherwise it would just be too many matches. But we're we're keeping like a list of the best matches, whether they're old from our retrospectives or classic match recommendations or or new ones. But yeah, you gave it an A plus. I gave it an A minus. There was just huge forearm strikes between them to start the match. Uh, and then Suzuki puts his arms behind his back and just like, he's like just taking it. He's like, come on! And... Uh, <laughs> I love those spots from Suzuki where he's just, yeah, he's put, putting his face forward asking to be hit. So Suzuki like has aged like fine wine as far as I can tell. Abs- um, oh, absolutely. Like he's uh, better sure. as a crazy old man because he's he's like a short guy. And like, like you said, you saw him in Japan and he probably didn't look like much. Like when you saw him in his shop, like he didn't look intimidating. No, other, no, other than no, his no. aura, was he, intimidating. he has he's intim- his presence and aura was intimidating because I know who he is. Yes, and he seems like a tough person. Sure, but I was I'm much taller than him. Yeah, which I was surprised by. He's a short I, I guy. Yeah, he's not, he's not jacked or anything. Um, the scary... but he'll fuck you up. Oh, yeah. he will absolutely fuck you up. He's like um, he's like. He almost seems like if 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 John Moxley was a turtle, Suzuki would be like 
the turtle without his shell, but he will still fuck you up. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a turtle without a shell. He's got crazy like stuff. His his head is just got I love lines, that he always does that lines carved into, into his it head. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um and yeah, he's just like he's just a monster. Like he's yeah, this match was everything I hoped it would be. Like, I go into this match, I had really high hopes for it because Nagata always throws really stiff punches, is like an army tank sort of build, like just very tough. I love New Japan's roster of just like tough-ass veterans like Nagata, Kojima, like these dudes that are just like, they've been around forever, they've wrestled everybody, and they're still like the New Japan dads. They're all there still, and a lot of them are like, you know, tearing the house down still. And I don't know, man, yeah, this... This might be go down as one of my favorite matches on the New Japan Cup. That we'll see with next week's matches, but uh It had my favorite Kevin Kelly call so far. Which oh, was, what was that? Uh, he's he's talking about Nagata. Basically, Suzuki's just fucking up Nagata, right? He almost chokes him out, and then just before he loses consciousness, he lets him go, only to like pick him up and then just start choking him again. And so he's <laughs> at that point he's so weak and he goes for his package pile driver. And he almost gets it, but doesn't. It would have been the end of the match for sure. Kevin Kelly's like, Nagata says every day when he wakes up on his YouTube, he, you know, he says, I'm going to do my best today. And Suzuki's here doing his worst. <laughs> I was like, I got chills. Dude, that's such a great call. Yeah. I got chills from that call. Oh um, my God. Although, and, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, please. I just have to say that I, as much as I loved this match, so bummed that Suzuki's out of the cup now though. Yeah, it was a really cool um, build of the match. So what was going on is they, you know, they were taking hits, going back and forth. Uh, Suzuki was was really terrorizing him for a bit, but you know he's fighting back. But what's happening is that Suzuki seems to be gaining power the longer the match goes on. Like he's getting stronger. <laughs> yeah, he's like sto- storing power for the end. Yeah, he's yeah. like getting stronger, and Nagata is is getting weaker. Um, and the story of this match is that two times before. Suzuki has eliminated Nagata from the first round of the new Japan cup. And so they're going back and forth doing these crazy unprotected strikes. Wow. Suzuki has eliminated Nagata two times before in the new Japan cup, not just in the, in the new Japan cup in the first round, man, that's such a sick, because I watched the Japanese commentary. So I actually did not. Yeah. I didn't know that fact. Yeah. Yeah. So it does suck that Suzuki's out of the, the cup, but it's like Nagata's like, Gets the underdog win. The underdog yeah. win from a long time. There was such a huge headbutt from Suzuki. There was one earlier in the match where he grabs his head and gives him a headbutt. But I was like, oh, yeah, that's not like a, you know, that's like a worked headbutt. And then at one point, he just took his dome and planted it on the top of Nagata's dome. And it was... Yeah, sometimes it's hard to see. Like that, him, Mox, Ishii, there are th- three or four people that actually throw real headbutts sometimes. Yeah. It's a little... It's a little tough to see. It's like maybe replacing the like uh, unprotected chair shot as like, or the um, diving headbutt, which the original, totally. the originator of the diving headbutt famously was like, please don't use the diving headbutt. Stop doing this move. And yeah. then Benoit did not. And Daniel Bryan did not. And that almost ended Bryan's career. Last, last match inexplicably in the main event of night two. Okada. Okada versus Gato. The Booker. I was suspicious of this from the beginning, from the start. I did not like this match at all. I have a lot of notes from every match, like a lot of calls, uh, a lot of a lot of spots, and I only have one note from Okada versus Gato, which is dumb. Uh, basically, Gato is like has four different weapons that he uses on Okada for the first 
I would say 10 minutes of the match. This was inexplicably like 20 minutes long. Um, so he, yeah, way too long working over Okada with like the bell, with a hammer, all these ridiculous things. Um, which is fine that, that weakens Okada up and it makes like when he hits him in the stomach, more believable that he would go down. But like you said, it makes no sense whatsoever that Gato is able to absorb any blows whatsoever from Okada based on the way every, that they've built him. Every time. And by they, I mean Gato himself. Is, Cause he's the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every time Gato books himself to be hit by any wrestler, anyone. He falls over like a Looney Tunes character in a way that is so exaggerated, but I that I also like really like and I think is funny because to me, that booking, the way Gato books himself there, where it's like if he even if he just gets punched very lightly by a performer, it it over the years has gotten more and more ridiculous. Like there was one recently where he's like kind of I think I think maybe a Bushi kicked him and he fl- flips over the uh, the ropes and to the outside and like this crazy flailed sort of uh, rock selling a Stone Cold Stunner way that I think to me it's like that is Gato booking that these athletes in ring are such strong titans that a regular person like me who's just a manager cannot be touched by these men I don't really or understand will... this uh, booking of Gato of himself as a non-wrestler because in he, this, yeah, in this universe, in this, it doesn't make sense. Because yeah. he... Cause what I just said is is a cool way to use him, and the way they have used him, he sometimes is in wrestling matches, but it's usually just to, like in a ten-man tag, he'll like cheat or, you know, get an arm drag from Yano, and then the, then he'll tag out, and someone else will do something. Right. Uh, I, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, and it, it's weird. In all my years of watching New Japan and all the New Japan I've watched, this is the only time I was taken out of the match in a way where I was like, "This isn't doesn't make any sense." Even if Okada was hit with a bunch of weapons, why? Why would his blows not hurt Gato? Yes, like it was understandable that he hit Okada in the stomach. Like, by the way, Red Shoes is just watching all of this. <laughs> he's standing there he hits him with the the mallet like four times and then red shoes is like okay 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 uh, can we cut it out with the mallet over here and gato's like oh yeah sure boss no problem and then he just like walks over and then grabs like the barricade or something and starts hitting okada with it like five times for like a minute and then red shoes is like all right i've seen a little bit of too much of this and <laughs> i'm like what why why does this happen yeah it it took me out of the match. I did not like it. And then towards the end, he uses brass knuckles on ok- Okada. Which there like, are it, three it, sets of brass knuckles in this match. I'm like, where do you get? Do you buy these bulk from Costco or what? <laughs> like it over over the whole match. It just doesn't make. Yeah, if a, re- if a regular person was hit hit another person with brass knuckles, like it's people who don't participate in combat sports, like you or I. It would still hurt, like if you or I were to punch Okada with brass knuckles, he wouldn't just absorb it. Like he'd go down, and yeah, it would. I mean, we potentially you could potentially kill someone doing that. Like it just seemed the whole match just was like very hokey. This whole match seemed like an advert for brass knuckles, and I cannot get (laughs) in front of that because I'm just opening myself up to a lot of liability. My very last note was this was a weird match, and I agree. I agree. So, John, did you have a chance in your busy life of watching 
45 other matches to also watch my classic match recommendation from last week. I got to watch my first Ric Flair match ever. No, not <laughs> Woo! Woo! Not really. Uh, I've seen a few of his. I've seen quite a few of his matches, but I never really have. Honestly, t- to be totally honest and transparent, I have never been a huge Ric Flair fan. Like when I was a kid in the late '90s, I cared about characters. Like I liked Al Snow more than Ric Flair. To me, Ric Flair seemed like my dad. He didn't seem cool, <laughs> and Al Snow had a head. He seemed funny and cool, and that's what I liked as a. Teen, early, preteen in the late 90s but now as a, a, an adult i cannot who, say to have uh agreed with your proclivity to, towards al snow at even as a kid i was like what the fuck is going on here with dude this i guy? i liked al snow so much that when he first appeared at the gund arena me and my brother my mom took me and my little brother to a beauty supply store to buy styrofoam heads so we could shake heads the heads in the crowd did you have uh, wigs on them as well no, 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 we should have. Well, but there was a big, there's a big, those of you listening could go back and find a gif of this. Everyone that's from more, more uh, references to ECW makes sense that I'm wearing an ECW shirt today. It's engendering all of these memories that I have. Uh, but if you want to see John's ECW shirt, you can check out our Patreon and subscribe as a WCW TV champion and get yeah, all Patreon. the Patreon.com slash torture act. A little plug. $6 get to this as a video and some blog posts and live event notes for me. Um, pretty good. What have you but got to lose? Less than anyways, Netflix. there's a great, there's a, it's true. Yeah. There's and a much great, less con- content. Yeah. True. Yeah. I guess that's, true. <laughs> there's a great, there's a great moment in ECW. Are we talking steamboat? Or are we talking ECW? There's a great moment uh, to finish that thought in ECW where everyone throws styrofoam heads into the ring in celebration of Al Snow. Al Snow was a huge deal in ECW. Me and my little brother are so It's true. I never saw Al Snow ECW. In WWF, the maniac Al Snow is here. He has head. He's be- It's basically like uh, WWE. It's a, it's an interesting moment or character to think about because at that time, Al Snow was in ECW. He had head. And then he gets brought over to WWF. He has head in storylines. Like It's like what you would expect or what you would hope. Like all of these different people that we love on the indies. Where you you hear they're getting called called up to WWE and you hope they or get to keep all their gimmicks and stuff. Let's hope they get to keep this like thing and it stays intact to what it was. Al Snow is maybe one of the few like in the history of wrestling where his insane weird gimmick is brought in and not changed and if anything just made weirder. You know what's uh, so funny about that is that I never knew that Al that was a ECW gimmick. I always assumed that was just some weird like Vince Russo thing. Yeah, no. <laughs> the way you said no there like had a tone of like yeah no you fucking idiot like, <laughs> re- like crack a book now and then <laughs> yeah exactly read a wikipedia article every now yeah, and then you're my right. friend I'm very sorry but anyways we are talking nwa shy town rumble 1989 rick flair versus ricky the dragon steamboat nwa world heavyweight championship match dude what a match especially after watching all these matches this week I feel like it's funny, like there are there are moments and matches that I I, th- I thought about this week that I, th- I thought were new or like things I thought about that I liked a lot. Like Nick Gage versus Nate Webb, I love the energy in that match. And then a few of the other GCW matches, like Blake Christian and Mayan Reed, their chemistry where they get fatigued and you feel them getting fatigued and that you feel that psychology. Throughout this match, those things are so palpable. Yes. And I can see why like a lot of like, uh, you could see, I could see why this match is a classic, and 
in the lead up to this match, they talk about it. This is Steamboat's first time returning to the NWA. In the pre-package, he beats the fuck out of Ric Flair. Just like strips him down. Oh shit! Beats beats him up like really just like I didn't see that. completely destroys him in a segment that happened in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> uh, it's funny that that was like a, a moment um, that happened then. But uh, the 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 match that the that Mark had me watch. Starts out classic collar and elbow tie-up. Flair shoots Dragon off the ropes. Dragon counters back with a football tackle that's so stiff and so hard. Yes. It really feels feels like a new what New Japan is. Yes, that it feels you feel that stiffness, that comparison. Yeah. you can feel the weight of their bodies, and you know Ric Flair is like not a huge guy, and neither is Steamboat, but they're both. You could feel like how strong the two of them are in this match. I think, and Ric Flair, like, I think he was bigger and like stronger than like we generally think. I don't know. Cause he kind of has like a weakling persona where he like gets to his knees. And he's like, no, please don't hit me. Yeah. True. But he was like, like he's a, got his like dodgy, like heel persona yeah, that, but he was like, goes out of the ring. If you saw him in a bar, you'd be like, that guy's fucking huge. And I wouldn't fuck with him. Yeah. I'd be interested. I've never, yeah, I've never seen him in person. So I don't actually you know haven't? like what is, you don't get invited no. to Ric Flair's Christmas. Party <laughs> well i mean like at like WrestleCon or like at an event like like you know you see billy gunn you're like that guy's huge but uh totally. i've never seen, had a moment like that with rick flair totally. um but yeah the the match starts out super super fast super hot like it's so fun to watch the two of them just work each other like steamboat comes out of the gate trying to throw like everything he has at flair he's doing these like really visceral chops that are like I don't know. They're like slicing, kind of, rather the than chop like, game. In this is like wild, insane. Them yeah, chop flares because like Flair is known to like lay a chop on a guy and like leave a leave a mark. And these two are just yeah, Walter style, very much Walter style. Yeah, the chest destroyer. He does exactly. He's not as huge as Walter, but he's a, he's you wouldn't want to get a chop from Ric Flair. Absolutely not, dude. Or Steamboat. There's a spot no. right at the start too. Flair hits Steamboat with his first super hard chop. Steamboat's laid out in the corner. Steamboat retaliates with this like overhead haymaker chop that knocks Ric Flair onto his feet, uh, and are off of his feet, and he's like on the ground, kind of like dazed. Yeah. And then Flair trips him and wrenches like a ham- hammer lock on Steamboat. Steamboat escapes, evades, runs away. The crowd, I will say, also kind of going back to talking about the reverence of New Japan and how like they really add a lot of um, ambiance and layering to the matches totally. in the way that a lot of Western fans do not now. <laughs> what? The, uh, <laughs> the, the fans here also, it's just incredible to see the, the the various different things that make a classic match a match, the crowd here is so invested in the match. They keep trying to, like, in various moments throughout this entire match, Flair tries to cheat, like, holding holding Steamboat's trunks, rolling him up, and putting Flair putting his legs up on the ropes yeah. to in a pin, and the ref doesn't <laughs> see it. The crowd in the front is over the handrails, screaming at the ref to, like, trying to tell the ref, that flair is cheating because they're so invested in steamboat winning this match. And it's interesting too, because the crowd, like obviously very steamboat steamboat is, is the baby face, but there's a lot of famous people in the crowd, like football players who are Ric Flair fans. Yeah, totally. I actually did make a note of that, but that, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people, yeah, some people just like love Ric Flair. Like he is like their hero. He is like one of the greatest NWA champions at that point. 
I feel like Steamboat's probably the underdog here. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, well, and the fan fan favorite in terms of who they want to win because they want to see a clean win from this cool new performer. Totally, and Ric Flair is trying to rob them of that clean win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Continuously, like putting his feet on the ropes and stuff, and like doing it until the ref sees it, and then you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's just like, I don't know, there's so many sequences in this match that really blew my mind and reminded me of, I, I want I got to go back and watch more matches from this era because I really don't, I'm not, I mean, it's two years after I was born, definitely an era that was lost on me as a kid because I was two years old when this match happened. And a lot of it does just remind me of like the G1 matches, like work rate bangers that we love so much. It's there's got like a this great sequ- pace. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, oh, yeah. Uh, there's this, like, sequence where, like, Steamboat throws down a snapmare from the corner to a rollover pin to a drop kick, yes. and then he wrenches a headlock and a pinfall. Like, it, it all happens in such fast succession that it has, like, the chaotic energy that the Nick Gage match had in a different way, where it's like these people feel like they're there to hurt each other and that they want, like, Steamboat's there, wants to win, and he wants to win on his own accord. He doesn't want to cheat. He wants a clean win. He wants to fuck Ric Flair up. Ric Flair wants to win by any means necessary so he can retain the NWA title. And throughout it, there's so many great classic Flair Flair flops where he's, <laughs> you know, hit and knocked over the ring, over the um over the rope to the outside, knocked off his feet multiple times by Steamboat. There are very few times in this match where uh Flair actually knocks steamboat off of his feet it's mostly steamboat overpowering flair many times throughout this match and i guess that kind of speaks to the psychology of the match and sort of the story they're telling where flair is champion but the only way he can win is if he cheats basically because this new person is so strong yeah and it kind of speaks to a lot of the different comments you've made over these last few podcasts we've done where you talk about like booking a new person and this is like an expert way to book a returning character, have him beat the champion in a way where he looks crazily strong. And this is uh, just the first of a series of three matches that they had last year. I joked it was the original greatest trilogy, uh, uh, you know, preceding the Kenny Omega Okada, which I guess was actually four matches, but one of them was in the G1 and... I, yeah, a sequence of matches. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so this is not even... I haven't watched the other two yet, but apparently this is not the best one. So I, wow. I'm super excited to see the other two. But like I said... So was this the first one? This was the first one. And I wanted to make sure we watched all of them. And I was going to book, I think, either the second or the third for one of our super cards. And I was like, okay, we got to we gotta see these first. There's only a few times where towards the end it slows down and kind of earlier I mentioned like feeling the fatigue of a performer. Yeah. Like you really feel their collective fatigue as they've worn each other down with chops, chops and suplexes. And there isn't even a lot of moves done in this match. It's mostly like all of the moves I've mentioned so far, like snapmares, flying crossbody is maybe the craziest move that's done. Yeah. Uh, various grappling moves those sorts of things there's this the towards the end flair throws down a sequence of stalling backdrops and suplexes slows down in this way where it's like the two of them are you see them like panting they're pouring with sweat and the crowd is just like silently watching the two of them just slowly kind of deal these like 
very lazy, lazy sort of worn out moves on each other where they have to like wait to use their energy, like to do like a simple move, like a suplex where it's like, okay, I can't pick this guy up right now because he has hurt me so much that I've lost the strength to do a double arm suplex. Totally. And it's crazy. Like how, how kind of far we've come from, from that, like matches just generally now are just like move after move after move after move. And very fast. Yeah. There's still like lots of great, like storytelling going on. Like we always bring up the box versus uh, Kenny and hangman at revolution, but that was just an incredible. Yeah. Well, that's just a storytelling work rate. Everything in that match converged to, to create one of the best tag matches of all time, specifically for a lot of the crazy moves that happened in that match. Yeah. But like, it's like we talk about it's, I always think like, Oh, did Meltzer break his own scale? Cause he gave like six stars, seven stars to a match. It's like, is he going to have to do that all the time? And it's like, no, probably not because the, the booking that went into that is what gives it that extra two stars on his scale. Like it's like a five-star work rate match for sure. But there's lots of, not lots, but there's plenty of five-star work rate matches. What takes it to the next level is the booking and like how they got there and like, you know, what it, what it means and where yeah, totally with the story that it tells we say a lot of wrestling storytelling but like it really is and the best matches are well told well, and that, this, this match too is like such a great example of that the ending sequence of this is so good steamboat shoulder tackles flair and has him staggered then goes to the top and does like a flying judo top judo chop but uh and it seems like he has flair beat there like he could probably could have pinned him the ref sees this Flair goes down, but then from there, he runs over to the other turnbuckle, does a flying crossbody, knocks the ref out. Flair attempts to wrench him into a figure four at this point, like with the ref knocked out. Then Steamboat goes for a surprise roll up and out of nowhere, another ref comes in for the count. One, two, three. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in 23 minutes and 18 seconds is the new NWA world heavyweight champion and fantastic what a journey this match was like incredible ending and you know with that ending with that rick flair is going to contest it and be like oh that was a different ref and like what the hell's going on here like and so it it so again sets up it's not just a great match and that finishes it it's a great match and you're like i can't wait to see them fight again like how that how the story long term is going to play out absolutely dude Thank you for making me watch this match. Well, like I said, every time you allude to not liking someone that I like, and I actually think that Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels are very similar. Uh, as much as they are different, they're they're also similar in that their characters are just kind of like that they're arrogant kind of jerks who like... They don't have any... But they don't have an inanimate head that speaks to them. They absolutely have no inanimate head. They're not some sort of like 1920s um, undertaker or anything like that. They're, yeah, they don't have these these huge gimmicks, but they are two of my favorite characters in wrestling history. Um, you know, it, more like someone like The Rock is like someone like Ric Flair, who's just like, he's just a larger than life person. Totally. That's a great, great comparison. Yeah. Charisma makes up for the lack of a crazy gimmick. Yeah. And at least 75% of the point is just what they do in the ring. Like, yes, they're cowardly, but they're like Ric Flair is cowardly, but like, and yes, he, he probably does need to cheat in this moment to beat Ricky Steamboat because he's outmatched in this match. Absolutely. But he's still like, 
one of the greatest wrestlers ever. He's still like an incredible wrestler. He still can bring it just like in, in this case, you know, and he always tries to cheat because he will guarantee a victory that way, but he doesn't necessarily have to cheat because he's such an, he's also such an amazing grappler. And uh, yeah. It's an incredible match, man. Do you have a classic match recommendation for me? John? Oh, I do. And I hope I don't, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it. It happened in Japan. There's a pretty good chance I haven't seen it. Okay. I was assuming, yeah, a lot of the historical I haven't maybe. seen this most recent, of the matches in recent, Japan. <laughs> a recent uh, historical match. Okay. Um, have took place in Japan on June, June 23rd, 2018. Okay. At Suzuki's Great Pirate Festival. Okay. <laughs> I have not seen this. And oh, I have not my God, heard brother. Of Suzuki's pirate festival can you give me a celebrating on the 30th anniversary of minoru suzuki being a pirate a lot of the merch suzuki has in his store like mentions a bunch of like tough words and pirate is one of them okay. so i think the connotation for us in pirate is like pirates of the caribbean ride uh at walt disney world and johnny depp but there i feel like it kind of maybe is more so akin to like outlaw okay more so than anything but Suzuki does battle with the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, commemorating Suzuki's 30th anniversary match in an outdoor match that is a cinematic masterpiece. What? There's I'm not going to say anything there's else. There's a cinematic Suzuki Okada match? But yeah, just, you'll see. I, it's, I did not know Oh that. my god, I can't wait for you to watch it, man. It's a great match. Really just like cool imagery. The people listening to this that have seen that match will know why I'm not saying anything yet. It's just a really beautiful match. And the when you go on New Japan World to watch it, like, like you'll see, I think, why I picked this match. Just because of the uh, thumbnail of the image kind of like reveals sort of the the visuals that happen within it. All right. But yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite Suzuki matches. Well, so. I very much look forward to watching it. And I very much look forward to getting together next time to talk about... Some AEW Dynamite, some AEW Dark, and some more of this fantastic New Japan Cup that we'll be gobbling up this week. You probably a little sooner than me because I'm going to wait for the Kevin Kelly English commentary to come out. Yeah, after this, after we're done here, I think I'm going to get back to working on some drawings and throw on night, I think it's night three now, of the New Japan Cup. Should also mention the website is live www.torturerack.com you can head there and read articles me mark and our friend thomas have written and get some previews of the magazine as well as pre-order issue four of torture Act. it's a special pre-order bundle 34.99 shipping included to anywhere in the states gets you torture Act issue four 160 pages and Torture Act, the pocket reader companion, 60 pages of the best of Torture Act from the first two years. Step into the world of Torture Act. Who can stop the path of Torture Act? Who can stop the path of Torture Act? <laughs> this has been another episode of the Torture Act podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all forms of social media. You can follow me, Mark Basque, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us at Torture Racked on Instagram. Stay safe, everybody. You want to drop something? Great episode, man. 
Don't use that. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely will. Please do that. I'm going to.